To listen to Memory Card episodes early and ad-free, consider supporting the show via Patreon at patreon.com slash memcard. Hey there, video game fans. I'm Push Dustin, and this is Memory Card. Ben Bertoli, he, he fell asleep somewhere. I don't know where he went, but he, he, I disposed of him for this week. And instead, I wanted to bring on my good friend, Nintanjax. Uh, Nintanjax has been running Source Gaming for the last uh, year and a half now? Something like that. I mean, it was like, what, the year after Smash Ultimate came out? Yeah, and Smash Ultimate's like, it's Smash Ultimate's like three years old now. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be three years old in um December, oh man. <laughs> Where does the time go? So I um got rid of Ben, decided that Josh Nintendo here is my new best friend, and uh, I really want to talk about something marvelous today. Something super <laughs> go on an adventure if you get my drift. So I have <laughs> Nintendo here to talk about the history of Marvelous. So do you want to uh, start off? Start us off with the beginning. Yeah, sure. So. Marvelous is uh, just a, for some background context on what where, what Marvelous actually is, other than just the word. It's a Super Famicom game uh, that was released in 1996 by Nintendo, a completely original IP. Mm-hmm. It's inspired by both A Link to the Past, and it's also inspired by adventure games, uh, like point-and-click adventure games. Mm-hmm. I don't. They probably didn't take Secret of Monkey Island as an inspiration, but that's probably the closest thing I can think of as a descriptor for it. So that it's a mixture of those two things, and it's done in a very similar style to A Link to the Past. In fact, like when they started development, they were using A Link to the Past assets as like the placeholders until they made the new graphics, mm-hmm. and it was like made by a team of really young developers, like. Devs who had really only worked on one project prior to this. So the director was Eiji Aonuma, and he was working on... This was, like, his second game after NES Open Tournament Golf. Yeah, because he did the sprites for that game. Yes, yes. So he, he, he was hired, he did the sprites for that game, and then, like, immediately Nintendo were like, cool, now you can direct anything you want. <laughs> so <laughs> clearly golf is very important to Nintendo. <laughs> I think Alnuma just really impressed everyone with his uh, puppets because uh, yeah. <laughs> he knew, he <laughs> that knew like how to appeal to Miyamoto. <laughs> <laughs> just did his whole interview with puppets, and Miyamoto was like, "I love it. This man, yeah. he's gonna he's gonna lead the future of Nintendo." <laughs> <laughs> I see great things in his toys. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. It was like a very small team at the start. Uh, there was. Eiji Aonuma, or he was known as Eiji Onizuka back then, mm-hmm. because Aonuma was actually, like, the name he took from his wife when he got married. Yes, yes. Uh, so, it's just usually, usually the other way around, but I guess uh, he preferred the name Aonuma. <laughs> I can't speak for him. But in, on top, with, with Eiji Aonuma, there was also Mitsuhiro Tako- Takano, who was the sub-director, Yoshinori Tsuchiyama, who was the character and object designer, and then Yuichi Uzaki, who did the music. And they, were probably, they probably added more people to the team. I can't imagine it was all four of them for like the, the entire development process. 
but they started in 1991, probably very late 1991, like December, November time. And the game wouldn't release until November, October time. I can't remember which month is the top of my head. October, November 1996. Mm-hmm. So that's like a five-year development cycle, which is quite quite a long time, especially yeah, back quite then. Some time. <laughs> but they had to restart development a few times. Uh, and that's because they'd originally planned for this game to be a part of the SNES CD add-on that Nintendo were developing. Um, you know, the infamous uh, Nintendo PlayStation. Yes. That <laughs> ended up falling through, and then we got the Philips CDI, and now Nintendo doesn't even acknowledge it. That's uh, <laughs> that unfortunate error of the Super Nintendo's life. They were mm-hmm. working on this game for that, and they were going to take full advantage of this by having fully like animated cutscenes. And when you would transition from the exploration to the point-and-click aspect, there would be like animations that were all being done by Kyoto Animation, who are like a very famous anime studio. Yeah, uh, made stuff like K-On and that Kobayashi Dragon Maid that's currently airing. Yeah, they had that unfortunate um, fire uh, just uh, two two years ago, as of recording. Yeah, no, they're only just sort of recovering from that like this year. Yeah. like I don't think they've released anything until this year since then, which in its very sad that what happened there uh this was being made they, they were working with nintendo on this a long 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 time before they actually started making full like seasonal anime series yeah and they still nintendo still have these animated cutscenes. They, they they didn't use them in the end obviously because they had to move to a cartridge but um they kept them all just in case they ever planned on making like a sequel or a marvelous 2 they might use those cut the cutscenes there and reuse some of the ideas. But you can tell how close they were to like still sticking with this original story, because even like cutscenes now made via sprites rather than uh animated, images of these have been found dated to like 1995, like a year before <laughs> the game came out. It was mm. still sticking to this original story of these three boys, like who really like this pirate guy called Maverick. And so they would follow him around on his adventures, and then there's like a big shipwreck, and they all wash up on a beach somewhere, and they have to spend the time looking for Maverick's treasure and trying to find him while this other rival pirate is trying to hunt them down. And this ended up being completely scrapped, and the final story is actually the kids are all on a summer camp on a tropical island, which is a... Mm-hmm. Where were my summer camps like? <laughs> yeah, not like this. Not? <laughs> I had to go to the gloomy woods and <laughs> they get to go to a beach. <laughs> That's because you grew up in England. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? American guys get it lucky. <laughs> go to Treasure Island for my summer camp, jeez. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they they go there, the pirates show up, uh, a pirate called King Bull, who has like one of the best theme songs ever. They changed the name. Yeah. So Maverick goes from being like a famous pirate that the boys like to being like a legendary pirate who's long been deceased. And it's now his treasure that they're looking for. So King Bull shows up to try and claim that, find his treasure. And he like kidnaps the camp counselor, who's this woman named Miss Gina, and basically holds her hostage. Because uh, the boys, I think, find like a piece of like the puzzle needed to get the treasure. But then all of King Bull's pirate crew which I think is like three people, <laughs> and Miss Gina get like locked inside the temple ruins and can't escape. Oh. And so the boys find Maverick's old pirate ship. They team up with a talking monkey and a talking bird, and they go off to various different islands. 
and each island is like its own little chapter and it's all very strange. There's a pirate island where they find out about King Bull's history, but it's got like this Native American style theming to it and time travel where they go back in time to when Maverick was still alive. Oh wow. And there's a penguin dating simulator game in there <laughs> where <laughs> you have to like this one penguin is super lonely and so you have to find him a partner and that you so you take this blue penguin around all these pink penguins mm-hmm. and they will comment on like how like whether or not they like him or not <laughs> and he can be like thoroughly rejected oh no <laughs> and <laughs> you just you see him get absolutely slaughtered by these female penguins they're just like, not oh, into no, him i feel bad now <laughs> they're just not into him at all oh no like you have this and then there's there's another island you got to go to which is like home to a bunch of monkeys and there's this big bully gorilla and you have to use you have to like record the singing voice of a female gorilla and bring it to him and then he falls in love with the female gorilla okay and goes off to have fun with her and then suddenly it becomes an invasion of the body snatchers type scenario where there's this killer plant that's taking over people Uh, stuff gets wild in this game (laughs) i still have questions about the penguin dating simulator like how evolved is it like can you actually like pick your mate like is there branching paths um, I think there's multiple options for the penguin to go for. Okay. Uh, it's done, like, like there's a big pool with a bunch of penguins in it, a bunch of male penguins, a bunch of female penguins. Okay. And you've got to take this penguin to all of the lone female penguins and try and get him a date with one of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't remember what the criteria is or what you need to do to figure out the main one, but I do know that you can be comically rejected. But there is there is a good mate for him in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, there's always uh, more fish in the sea. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I do not remember what the uh, prize is for doing this, or why you even do it in the first place, but <laughs> it's just one of yeah. the many <laughs> it's just part of wacky the things that you get up to in this game. <laughs> That's one thing I really like about, like, that era of like adventure games is that they tended to go just as wacky as possible yeah oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah you, you have to use you know the, the penguin and of course the penguin has to find a mate like you have to go on a dating sim like of course that makes sense or time travel with uh you know yeah you, you gotta <laughs> turn the grandfather clock to go back in time because of course that's how that works right yeah and then you fight like i think you fight like a giant clockwork robot in the past like in this same time travel house okay I don't know. There's actually very few areas of combat in this game. Uh, So you have three characters, Dion, Max, and Jack, Mm -hmm. who can all do specific things. And, like, Jack has no combat. He can't fight anybody. Uh, Max can, like, kick and punch stuff. And there's, like, some point towards the end of the game where you you have to sign Max up to be, like, a boxing boxing tournament and fight the the boxing champion. Uh, It's, like... don't know not i do not know why i i I cannot remember the the reasoning behind it but he's like the muscle of the group and then dion has like baseballs he can just throw at people and he eventually gets a he eventually gets a cannon i think or like a bazooka Mm. but i do i don't it's like the last item he gets and i don't remember what you use it for i would assume shooting things but he's always ranged yeah he's always yeah he's ranged and fast max is close up and the heavy hitter and jack just doesn't fight but Jack can jump, which no one else can do. So Jack's usually used... Max uh, Dion's also the smallest, so he can crawl through small gaps, which Max and Jack can't get through. 
but you can you have to use all three of them for certain puzzles like the teamwork aspect is a big part of it yeah uh, where you have like mini games where you have to r- rapidly mash the a button <laughs> you know classic 90s 90s nintendo mini games yeah. of if this was on the 64 you'd be spinning the joystick furiously yeah and your hand will be bleeding yeah <laughs> thankfully it's just pressing buttons on the d-pad very fast on the super nintendo uh, they got the they got loads of puzzles like that but the whole idea of like switching the characters and stuff like that that seems like really ahead of its time mm. like when i think about games nowadays they're just really starting to use that like grand theft auto 5 that's like a major selling point but this is way back in the super famicom yeah it's really impressive it makes me think of the original idea for a link to the past that miyamoto had like there's a really early pitch where there were going to be like three cat, three or four characters. Like I think Link, a mage, a fairy, and like some something else. I think, mm-hmm. and you'd swap between them all, and they couldn't get it working on the Super Nintendo. In fact, the only reason it works in Marvelous is because they had invented these more powerful cartridges to that could power it. So like yeah. Nintendo came out with these stronger cartridges that were more expensive to produce, but it allowed games like Kirby Superstar and super mario rpg to do like a lot more uh with them and marvelous was one of them yeah uh, and it was specifically because they had this advanced cpu power like i think it's a cartridge with like a strong c with like a cpu in it <laughs> I-, I might be wrong on that um i'm just sort of going off memory it's like the super fx yeah chip. it's more powerful than the super fx chip it's uh it's a completely different okay. thing um but it has a very similar name to the super fx chip because of this, they allowed them to do the three-person thing, because they actually made a few Marvelous games for the Super Famicom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the main game, which is the only one that was in a cartridge, is the only one that has that character-swapping mechanic in it, because that's the only way they could do it was with the cartridge. Mm-hmm. The other two games were on the Satellaview, and in those games, you can only play as Dion. Although, t- technically, you're playing as your avatar, dressed up as Dion, uh. Uh, rather than him himself. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, Satellaview had that weird avatar, had that interesting avatar system. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, I, I've sort of, like, those games start off with you sort of walking in, knocking Dion out accidentally, usually, <laughs> and then Max and Jack sort of run around you, and it goes into, like, a comical, like, dust cloud, and then you suddenly become Dion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they released two of these. One of them was actually the first Marvelous game released. It's uh, Time Athletic. And it was based on the Japanese, like, stamp rally thing. You and a bunch of other CPU kids, although I don't think you can actually lose unless you run out of time, go around a a map and you have to try and collect as many stamps as possible and then bring them back to the camp counsellor, usually Arnold or Gina. For those of you who don't know, stamp rally is just, like, they have, like, specific locations where you have to attend and you can get, like, a certain stamp. And then, yeah, like uh, Nintendo explained, once you got all those stamps, you would go back to a central location. Yeah. Usually you get a prize in real stamp rallies. Uh, you're not in Marvelous. The yeah. only prize you have is fun. <laughs> the fun you have collecting them. <laughs> but they, they released two of these to, to promote the game. One came out like right at the start, like February 1996. And then the other one came out a month after Marvelous came out. And then they took a break. They, 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 had, they did really want to make more Marvelous games. Like, they still had ideas, they had this old animation that they hadn't used, and they were purposely not showing to people in case they decided they wanted to use it ever again. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they wanted to take a break from making Marvelous and then return to it in the future, ideally. Uh, which they tried to do, but... Um... That sound means that we're putting the episode on pause just for a moment so we can briefly explain how you can support Memory Card. 
If you enjoy our content, you can show your support by leaving positive reviews on your podcasting service of choice. Four or five stars and a few kind words go a long way when it comes to convincing others to give the show a listen. So please do so if you find the time. Spreading the word is also super helpful. If you know anyone who's into gaming or history, or maybe even both, you should consider sharing Memory Card with them. Every season, we strive to reach a wider audience, and you can help. If you're feeling extra supportive, you can head over to patreon.com memcard. Every single one of our patrons gets access to early and ad-free episodes. Higher tiers include bonus episodes, shoutouts, stickers, and more. We certainly hope you'll check it out and consider becoming one of our lovely patrons. Once again, that's patreon.com slash M-E-M-C-A-R-D. Oh yeah, I put my uh, memory card sticker on my phone case. Uh, where'd you put yours? Uh, yeah, I slapped one on my laptop and I also put one on my skateboard helmet. Wait, you got more than one? Thanks for taking the time to hear us out. Let's get back to the show. I know you can hear me. One, th- There's one specific thing that blocked Marvelous from really ever coming back. And it's not the fact that it wasn't localized, although there was an attempt, it seems, by Nintendo of America to localize it. Uh, they released, like, a Nintendo Power four-page, six-page spread about this about the game. Oh, wow. There's no translated, like, screenshots. The screenshots are still in Japanese. The, they, they, they changed Dion's name to Dino. And that's also where they called the game Marvelous Another Treasure Island. That's where we get the English name from. So they, they, they were clearly in the process of doing it, but the problem is this game came out in, like, 1996, which was the same year the Nintendo 64 came out. Yeah. And while Japan was still supporting the Super Nintendo game, Super Nintendo with games, up until, like, 2000, the year 2000, I think, uh, Nintendo of America didn't. Like, they released, what, Donkey Kong Country 3 and Kirby's Dream Land 3. Yeah. And then that was basically it after the Nintendo 64 was already out. I think uh, <laughs> Nintendo in America, they had reservations about supporting the Super Nintendo because they were like, well, we need to move on to the 3D era because or else we're going to be like yeah. caught behind or we're going to be left in the dust. Yeah. And for games like Kirby's Dream Land and Donkey Kong Country, which are from big existing franchises uh, and are pl- also platforming games with less uh, localizing needed. Those are easy releases, but Marvelous yeah. is a story-driven adventure game that would have a lot of text, and I could just see them like not wanting to do it. Some people blame Earthbound's failure. I saw uh, when I, I was going to ask about that if that had any. No, was, that's the thing. There was there was some speculation from journalists at the time that Earthbound's failure just put Nintendo off of localizing like text-heavy games for a while, but I can't find any actual source for any of that. Yeah, it's just speculation. It just seems to be like one journalist being like, it was probably because of Earthbound. And then like sites like Wikipedia just ran with it. And then that, that information oh, spread. <laughs> but there's no real source other than speculation. Uh, but I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that had a, a factor in it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not confirmed. But that's not the real reason we haven't got another Marvelous. The real reason is because the Legend of Zelda series exists and it just sort of ate everybody <laughs> like it, it took took over yeah because the game was obviously very zelda inspired and when it came out miyamoto was like oh you like zelda do you well why don't you come and work on it then aonuma and so dragged him onto ocarina of time <laughs> mm-hmm. where he became one of one of that game's many directors uh, but so did uh, mitsuhiro takano also went to go and work on ocarina of time and then both uh 
Tsuchiyama and Ozaki went to go work on Link's Awakening DX. Uh, one of them was the director of it, and the other one did music of it. Mm-hmm. And then, like, while the other three, like, other than Aonuma, then went on to work on other projects, like, I think Tsuchiyami does Mario Party now. He's, like, the producer of that series. Uh, Aonuma obviously stuck <laughs> with The Legend of Zelda, and, like, yeah. <laughs> basically from Majora's Mask onwards became its, like, sole lead <laughs> so Miyamoto could focus on other stuff yes and so because of that uh he basically has never escaped the Zelda the Zelda pit <laughs> and so has never had an opportunity to make another marvelous game they did try on the GameCube um I think Aonuma and Tsuchiyama sort of teamed up to try and make a remake of Time Athletic for the GameCube okay where Tsuchiyama would direct it and Aonuma would supply like the team and stuff and also be like creative director over it. And we got like 3D models of at least Dion and Miss Gina from that. And it was going to be like a multiplayer game that used the Game Boy Advance connection. Okay. Uh but it eventually morphed into Navi Trackers. <laughs> it, which it was a Legend, Legend of Zelda spin-off. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it just became a Zelda spin-off that they then added as a part of Four Swords Adventure. Yeah. Like because they just couldn't they I don't think they had it was a big enough game that they could release it on their own, like on its own, justifying that. So they just added it to another Zelda game. I don't know if that's why it changed from Marvelous to Zelda. Like, they were like, we can't release this on its own. Let's tie this into Zelda. And I guess that means we have to make it a Zelda game. Or if they were like, let's make it a Zelda game because Zelda is <laughs> a bigger series or not. I'm, I'm sure like a lot of people also draw connections between Wind Waker and Marvelous as well, because they're both set on islands and feature pirates and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, they, there are a lot of similarities. It's It's quite interesting that Aonuma's like first game as director is about that like pirates and islands and then yeah Wind Waker I think was the first game where he was actually like the full director on like I think Majora's Mask he was one of them but it was like there was still more Ocarina of Time stuff on that I know Koizumi was still yeah he was still on Majora so it's interesting that the first full directorial game he he did was also about pirates and islands (laughs) (laughs) with the Wind Waker but you're right, they, they are very similar, so the transition's pretty easy to go from one to the other. Mm-hmm. But it has basically sealed Marvelous's fate from this point onwards, because we don't know of any other attempt. And Triforce Heroes is quite similar in that there's three playable characters, mm-hmm. uh, and you've got to, like... I mean, it's obviously more level-based in Triforce Heroes, but there's no evidence that that was ever a Marvelous game. That very well just might be reusing the idea and always planned for it to be Zelda. I think, like, Triforce Heroes was just uh, four swords, but made simpler. Yeah, three, yeah four swords, but with one less sword. <laughs> yeah, and, and gotta also... Go, gotta like, go for that 3DS theming. <laughs> yeah, do the costumes for the, the abilities instead of... Yeah, instead of just all the items, yeah. But, yeah, no, it, it's a shame, because Marvelous is a really good game. It's a game that I, like, recommend people try and play any way they can whether you want to get an official japanese cartridge or there's a really good fan translation out there in an ideal world nintendo would localize the game and bring it over to uh the the west like they've sort of been doing with the first fire emblem game recently and with with what they did do with sin and punishment and uh takamaru and yeah well yeah they didn't localize anything in that technically they just sort of i think they might have changed the title screen and just brought it over 
Okay. Uh, Marvelous is such a text-heavy game it would actually require a proper localization. Yeah, for sure. But I think it's worth it. The game's way ahead of its time. Uh, If it was, like, remade on the DS or 3DS, it could be, like, perfect. That had the touchscreen, so they could have done the exploit, like, the adventure game stuff down there. And there are a few things, like, swapping through items is a little bit cumbersome in that game, because it's like, bring up a menu, click on the right item, go select that, take it off, and every character has their own inventory, so you have to do it for all three of them. Oh. And stuff, whereas if you had this, like, even just, like, you know how on the Switch Pro Controller, or even just the Joy-Cons, you got an, a ZR, ZL, R, and L. Like, if you just had, like, yep. the ZR and ZL, like, you just cycle through items left or right, that would make things so much quicker to to go through all of your inventory. The different character menus. So, like, there, there are little, loads of little changes that I think they could do for Marvelous in, to modernize it. But even without that, the game is still something that's worth playing today. Um, hopefully, <laughs> Aonuma is uh, passing the Zelda torch on to somebody. I can't imagine he will, but maybe yeah. he will because he's been less involved as the years go on. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, with Breath of the Wild, it seemed like he kind of took a step back, actually. Yeah. Like, he, he, he was very much involved with that game, but, like, I think... I f- I'm blanking on the on the individual's name, but there was another person who was the actual director. Yeah, I mean, I think Aonuma is only actually directed Wind Waker and Twilight Princess. I think with Skyward Sword, he was like still there, but he wasn't the lead director. He was more like supervising director for Skyward Sword. And then that guy basically became full director for Breath of the Wild. And Aonuma has been slowly taking more steps back. So it's my hope that he sort of pulls a Miyamoto and steps away from Zelda entirely. <laughs> and then at that point might be like, let's make another Marvelous game. Or maybe, who knows, if I keep spreading the word about it, we'll get something like that Advance Wars remake, where another studio will <laughs> come along and be like, yeah, we want to uh, make a Marvelous game, please, and show like how it could look on the Switch, and then they'll be like, yeah, let's go. I mean, Famicom Detective Club is probably the perfect example. Exactly. Majors went with that, they gave it. <laughs> they made They've made a remake of it, we're getting this with Advance Wars now. Just got to go to either Aonuma or Tsuchiyama and be like, yo, look, let us make a Marvelous game. <laughs> yeah. This is how it could play on the Switch. You could even use the Joy-Cons for like, like the, you could use the motion controls for some of the team stuff or even just like as a pointer, potentially for the point for the touchscreen stuff. And uh, yeah, they, they, then they just have to take a supervising role instead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep pushing that. <laughs> I think people will want to learn more about Marvelous and other obscure Nintendo games. So, where can people find you? So you can follow me on Twitter at Mr Nintendo. So Nintendo, but with an A at the front. Um, but then I've also got two channels. So Source Gaming, which is where you know you know me push like at all Source Gaming. Uh, on Twitter, that that that's the main one. But I also have a second channel, which is called the Nintendo Chronicler. Uh, and the very first video I did on that is Marvelous. And I haven't gone through all the details that are in that video here today. So if you want to know more about Marvelous, actually see gameplay footage of it and all that. See what the GameCube one would have looked like, etc. Then go check that out. Um, it is literally just Nintendo Space Chronicler. <laughs> and I should be the first thing that comes up. Um, I should hopefully have a second video out as well by that point, by the time this, this goes live as well, because I'm working on that and that's nearly done. E3 got in the big in the way of that. <laughs> I think if you're uh, listening to this on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, it should be in the 
show description, the link to that. So please check that out if you want an easy way to find Nintendo's uh, channel, the Nintendo Chronicler. Yeah, do it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again so much uh, for joining us today, and uh, we'll hope to see you again soon. Anytime. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Our intro and outro music was crafted by talented chiptune composer Jamatar. You can find more of his bangin' beats by searching Jamatar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R, on Spotify or visiting jamatar.com. If you have any feedback on the podcast or would like to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out to us via Twitter, at MemCardShow. Or you can visit our website, MemoryCardShow.com. If you'd like to follow Ben and I, we can be found at SuperBenTendo and at PushDustin, respectively. Have you considered supporting Memory Card on Patreon? If not, we hope you will. Currently, we're supported by quite a few awesome people, all of which get access to early, ad-free episodes. These people include Jackson Bertoli, Taylor Bias, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Tyler Davis, Courtney Cotton, Harrison, Jorge Bajija, Manuel Vitella, Ray Schneider, Shala, Nick Callis, Sandra L., Robert Melville, Empiric Unicorn, and Aaron S. All of our Patreon info can be found on the support section of our website or on patreon.com slash memcard. We'll be back really soon with some more gaming history goodness, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you've enjoyed the show. We'll see you soon.